Hello, welcome to Conference in Review. I'm Dana. And I'm Derek. This week we are talking about Jeffrey R. Holland, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and his talk lifted up upon the cross. If I was a, like, an evangelist preach or something and I had to give a sermon, the subject I would choose would be, why do you wear the cross? Now, as we know, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it's not a big part of our tradition. In fact, many people would say, we've heard of kids say, oh no, crosses are bad. Crosses are not bad. Unless you're hanging from one, then yes, they're bad. Mm-hmm. But why do you wear it? Say you were a young Christian and you've been brought up and it's part of what you wear because it shows you're a Christian and everything. Would you ever stop and ask yourself, well, why am I doing this? Is it for my benefit or is it to show everyone that I am a Christian? Because let me tell you, if that cross is the only way that anyone knows you're a Christian, then you got some got trouble. And I think that's what this talk really talks about, because as by a quote, and he does quote this, is by former presidents of the church named Gordon B. Hingley. He passed away in 2008, I believe. He said, the lives of our people must be the symbol of our faith. And yes, we have uh, adopted an icon that they put on things at the end of their, of the risen savior. But I think the point is, like in Matthew 6, um, do not your alms before men to be seen. They have their reward. And I know I'm paraphrasing that. Their reward is to be seen. Everything, ooh, he's doing his alms. He must be really righteous. And I think if the cross is your way of telling everybody, ooh, I'm a Christian, I must be really righteous, I think uh, I need a double check. Whereas the cross could be something you wear for yourself to remind you, I am a Christian and I need to remember that in my decisions I make and how I treat people. Yeah. All right. After saying that, let's go back. Let's go to the talk with President, or I'm sorry, Elder Holland. Yeah, and he starts the talk. And he, he tells a story of uh, a long time ago. How many years ago? It was uh, 30, 40 years ago. Oh, it could have been even 50. I don't 50, know. He didn't say. <laughs> uh, 50 years later. Yeah. yeah. He says, this morning, some 50 years later, I'm determined to finish the explanation. So uh, he had someone ask him 50 years ago uh, why we weren't using the cross in our church. And he went through several scriptures explaining how important um, Christ dying on the cross was, that it was an important part of our religion, but that uh, we don't use crosses in the church. In the middle of it, he said he he had a lot of zeal, and he's sharing scriptures with him, and he he noticed this guy's eyes glazing over, and he's starting to look at his watch, and he kind of ends it, and the guy rushes off, and so he didn't get to finish his sermon on the cross. (laughs) So this is supposed to be that sermon. Yeah, he says, so some 50 years later, I'm going to finish this even if you all start checking your watch and fall asleep or whatever. I'm finishing my this sermon. So anyway, it's a good topic. I remember a few years back gaining an understanding of some of the reasons why we didn't use the cross and wanting to talk to people who use the cross and explain to them that 
you know, it's kind of the weapon and how they were wrong for wanting to use it and that would convince them to come to our church, you know. I was like, that's not gonna, that's not going to work. Um, and it's more of a tradition that we don't use the cross than anything specific. I think David O. McKay was one of the main ones who came out and said something that... Yeah, I want to give you a little background on that. Yeah, go ahead. So the, there's never been an actual where they sat down and said, crosses are bad, never wear them. The reason why they never caught on in the church is because if you go back into time in the 19th century, uh, between 1820 and 1850, about, there was a lot of animosity towards Catholics, a lot of anti-Catholic feeling in the United States. And most of the converts to the church were Protestant, and they would even look at animosity towards the cross. Mm. They'd see the cross and they'd say, that's a Catholic symbol, and we are not Catholic. We do not use the cross. As the church ended up in the 1850s, um, well, actually, yeah, in the 18, when did we end up? Was it 1847 that we came to Utah? Yeah. Yeah, it was 1847 mm -hmm. that the saints came to Utah. And then it started catching on because by 1850, it says that between 1820 and 1850, the Catholic number in the United States grew from 195,000 to 1.75 million. That's a huge growth. Wow. A lot of them were uh, coming over because of the like the famine in Ireland. They had to come to the United States, and so there's a lot of Catholics coming. And although there was persecution, something changed in the Protestant faith, and that was they started adopting the, the cross. And so that became something that Protestants as well as Catholics used. And you may have noticed, and you may not know this, but the cross with, with Jesus on it, it's called a crucifix, which is different from just the cross. Mm -hmm. That tends to be more Catholic than just the cross, which tends to be mm -hmm. more Protestant. Meanwhile, when all this was catching on, the saints were out in Utah far away from anything else, so they never really quite caught on. And it, when, it, when it was starting to catch on, you know, by the early 20th century, there started to be some animosity in Utah between the saints and the Catholics who were growing out here in Utah. And there was a bishop named Dwayne Hunt in the 1930s. He started a radio show that he said was for the purpose of strengthening his Catholics in the state. Well, President McKay saw it as he's trying to convert members of our church. And there he has even been, he's been quoted as saying that the two great evils in the world were communism and the Catholic church. Well, he softened toward his attitudes towards Catholic, the Catholic Church later on as time went on when he and met Bishop Hunt. But in 1957, when I guess there were some crosses being sold for, for LDS girls, and he said it wasn't proper for LDS girls to wear crosses. Mm -hmm. And that's when this anti-cross thing really started to catch on. So before that, it just it just never really hit us. You know, it's like kind of thinking about the fashions in France when you're living in frontier America. It's not going to hit you because you're living somewhere totally different. And that's how it was. Um, he said, our worship should be in our hearts. And so as time has gone on, we've come up with these other things of why we don't wear the cross, when in reality, we really don't have 
a stance. I think what it is, is that it's caused us because we haven't worn the cross. It's caused us to ask ourselves, why don't we wear the cross? So back to that sermon, I met my imaginary sermon. Why do you wear the cross? We've been asking ourselves all the time, why don't we wear the cross? And that's been our explanation to the world. And so I think it's not that it's bad to wear a cross. You can be an LDS person. You can go wear a cross necklace. You're not going to be denied access to the temple. Nothing about that. It's just, um, it's just once again, like the other question, why do you wear that cross? Yeah. What does it mean to you? And stop and reflect we should be the cross. If we're if we're using that symbol to show everyone in the world that you're a Christian, he's saying that's not the right way to do it. The right way to do it is your acts, your thought. That's what President Hinckley is pretty much saying. You don't need something to show. So let's go back to the talk. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons Brother Elder Holland gives is that execution was very brutal and and for 300 years after they didn't like to use the cross as a symbol because it was too barbaric it was too uh it was you know such a hard thing to remember i don't, I don't think, think the about. cross you know in my research about this i don't think the cross really became a thing until after constantine was mm. and he wasn't converted to like after 300 through 17 a.d yeah, he says by the fourth and fifth centuries, yeah, was being introduced into Christianity, but not, but that generalized Christianity. So yeah, and that symbol of the fish that's that you see sometimes in the back of people's car that's actually predates the cross. Mm-hmm. That was a sign, and I was reading something something about the word for fish and the word, like there was something, I don't remember, and even before that were the X and the P, which is like a C, like a K and an R in English, the K, R, for Christ. Yeah. That was another something you would show that people would know that you're Christian because you had to do it in secret because, so, I mean, that's why you would have a symbol because you can't tell someone, oh, I'm a Christian or else you'd be persecuted. Yeah, he he gives an example, you know, he says where we meet, where the twelve apostles meet, they they have a picture of Christ on the cross, and then one of him just after meeting Mary, um, after he's been resurrected, just showing the importance of cross. And then he goes on and talks about uh, what you were saying that Gordon B. Hinckley taught that the lives of our people must be the symbol of our faith, that how we live our life is the ultimate symbol. It's not what we wear, but who we are. And our goal is to become like Jesus Christ, and hopefully uh, others can see that in us. I'm thinking of the CTR ring, Mm -hmm. or those WWJD Mm -hmm. bracelets, what would Jesus do? Uh, Those things are designed to help you be a better Christian. They're not designed for other people to look at it and say, ooh, he's a Christian. He says, no. Yeah. And so I think if you choose to wear a cross, I think I think that's that's the best I think that's the best way to to have it. If you choose to wear a cross or, or not as a fashion accessory, I feel like as a fashion accessory that's really I don't know, I just I just feel like that's not cool. 
Yeah. But there's nothing that says you can't, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, one of my favorite lines he says in in every age, sorry, in every land and age, he has said to us all, if any man or woman will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And when you really think about that, there's a lot. So if we want to follow him, first you have to deny yourself, which... I think we spend our whole life trying to figure out how to deny yourself. Yeah. Because we want the things we want, right? And, and then it's almost like, to me, I, I kind of see it as, for, because of the podcast that I just listened to, to deny yourself is kind of moving from celestial to terrestrial. Mm-hmm. Uh, to take up your cross is 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 becoming, you know terrestrial and follow him is is becoming celestial and so figuring out that one how to live that one scripture is uh, uh, there's a lot involved with that one scripture um, he he says this speaks of the crosses we bear rather than the ones we wear which is it's a very max neil a maxwellian thing to say and i mm. was not surprised when i found out later that he had studied under neil a maxwell because uh, he would always say stuff like that that kind of kind of it's crosses we bear rather than the ones we wear like yeah. a cute little rhyme or something that sounds mm-hmm. like <laughs> to be a follower of christ one must carry a burden your own or someone else's and go where sacrifice is required and suffering is inevitable Gosh, I want to just keep reading that whole thing aloud. I know. I know a true Christian cannot follow the master only in those matters with which he or she agrees. No, we follow him everywhere, including, if necessary, into arenas filled with tears and trouble where sometimes we may stand very much alone. So we follow Christ even not just because it's easy, but even when it's hard. You do it because it's right. Yeah. It's... It has nothing to do with easy or hard. It has to do with right and wrong. And I think in the world today, sometimes those two things get confused. <laughs> They're upside down. Yeah. And backwards. Something something that is right, it's not right just because it's easier. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with it, right? Yeah. Right and wrong have nothing to do with easy and hard. But it's it's how we're able to deal with it because of, having Christ in our lives, we all experience the rain. The rain is poured on the good and the bad. But having Christ allows us to know better how to deal with the hard times. Yeah. I I like this quote. He says, I see all of them working sometimes to the point of total exhaustion, seeking strength, safety, and a few moments of joy that come no other way. You can work to the point of exhaustion, but when you have that faith in what you're doing, faith in Jesus Christ, there is joy even through the exhaustion. Yeah, he then gives a whole bunch of examples of of people in and out of the church that are following Christ faithfully. And he gives um he gives just a bunch of examples identity, gender, sexuality, 
there's so many different things that and each one of us has you know something or a couple things that we may deal with that are just just hard to deal with mm-hmm. that we have to work through this life isn't easy on any of us we look at someone else we, they just have everything but get to know them walk in their shoes a mile and find out uh, I think I'll keep my own problems yeah yeah because he's talking more about bearing bearing the cross now mm-hmm. more bearing the cross shows your Christianity I think more than wearing the cross and he's talking yeah. about these different crosses that people bear I listened to a there is a relatively new podcast that I've started listening to from time to time. Derek told me about it's called, I think, Coming Back. Mm. It's about people who had left the church and came back. And one of them really, it was a really, um, it was a tough one. This person, he had left the church and when he came back, he had transitioned into a woman. And so now he's going back to church um, as a female with a different name, he totally changed his name, his everything, and just balancing this life. But all this person knows is that God loves them, that they know that this is the true church, and they're still figuring out this whole gender thing. It's it's hard. And I went back and I was like, well, how does the church deal with that? Because I didn't really know. I just assumed, you know, you can't if you've transitioned all the way, then sorry you're out of luck and i'm reading it and it's it's not that black and white white black and white uh-huh. <laughs> there's a lot of gray that they leave up to local leaders and but all i know is that this person came back to church and feels loved and knows god loves them yeah. but as a, a child of god this person knows that they're loved they know they're in the right place and whether that's in relief society or in priesthood they are going back and figuring it out and i think sometimes in this world it's automatically like oh you know if you're on that side of the lgbtq ideology then there's no place for you at the church and the fact is that's not true mm. Satan wants you to think that, and uh, and I feel like the church and it really encourages us to have our own personal relationship to the Savior, so that we can figure out those touchy things that are very personal and yeah, yeah they're hard in this world, and it's just it's just gonna get worse. I'm, I mean, as in worse, it's gonna get like last week we talked about the wheat and tares. It's going to get harder to tell, and all we have to rely on is our listening to the still, small voice in the spirit and uh, walking by faith the best you know how. You like, uh, like this, like we've heard, it's impossible. It's going to be more and more impossible. What is the quote by President Nelson? It'll become, uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be impossible it? to survive spiritually yeah. without the the whisperings of the spirit yeah. and we're paraphrasing again yeah. but that's what he's saying Survive and so spiritually you'll need the guiding influence of the holy ghost and as long as we are staying close to the spirit we pray that the lord will make us able to bear not just our own crosses but to help others bear their crosses so that they can survive spiritually that's what god wants us he wants us to be like him well and then he, he goes on to say that 
that there's a cost to being a disciple, that it isn't free. And he gives the example of Arana who tried to give uh, oxen and wood and for an offering to King David. And David said, no, there's a price. Uh, there's a price. He said, what did he say? For I will not offer unto the Lord my God that which doth cost me nothing. Yeah. Um, basically saying that there's a price. It's it's not it's not free. There's there's a, there's a, a price to be paid for getting there. You know what it reminds me of is um, um, Fielding, Mary Fielding Smith. That's her name, oh. and she had been widowed. This is so sometime when Joseph F. Smith was a little boy because she died when he was thirteen. And she goes over there, and she's a widow, and she goes to pay her tithing. She said, Sister Smith, you shouldn't have to pay your tithing. She goes, don't deny me my blessings. Yeah. And I think that's that's what David's saying. He goes, I'm not going to give an offering that costs me nothing. I'm not going to pay my tithing with someone else's money. It's got to be my, my, my sacrifice come from me if I want to get those blessings. Otherwise, it really seems pointless. Yeah. Because as we take up our crosses and follow him, it would be tragic indeed if the weight of our challenges did not make us more empathetic for and more attentive to the burdens being carried by others. Yeah, I mean, when we go through bad things, I think naturally we become more aware of those. I mean, how often do you see, I know like my ex-husband, when he was very empathetic to little boys who had a hard time sitting still Mm. in church. His heart went out to them because he was that little boy. <laughs> I think that's how it is for all of us. We see yeah. someone like, for me, I have empathy for the little kid who doesn't want to stay in, in uh, nursery. Well, something that I've learned from you and your ex-husband is when we go uh, to a restaurant to give a tip, uh, that was very important because wasn't he a waiter? He was a waiter for a long time. Yeah, and so that was very important and you have talked to me a lot about the importance of that. And, and I, you know, I knew it was important, but when you hear firsthand from someone who did it, uh, it makes a difference. In- yeah. So in case you don't know, if you live in Utah, I don't know how it is outside of Utah. I know in California they pay a minimum wage plus tips. But in Utah they have a separate minimum wage for waiters and waitresses who get tips. It's two dollars and 15 cents and last i heard i think it was about five or six years ago it was still two dollars and 15 cents which was exactly the same as it was back in 1999 yeah and it hasn't gone up so they really depend on those tips so unless they're giving you really bad service if they're trying hard you know yeah give them their 20 percent yeah that's <laughs> Taken right out of yeah, if you can't if you can't afford the twenty percent on a tip, you know there's lots of really good places you can go where you don't need to tip. Yeah, you know. The second half of that paragraph, he says, it is one of the most powerful paradoxes of the crucifixion that the arms of the Savior were stretched wide open and then nailed there, unwittingly but accurately portraying that every man, woman, and child in their entire human family. Not only welcome, but invited into his redeeming, exalting embrace. Yes. And in the footnote, he, qu- he quotes Alma 19.36. 
His arm is extended to all people who will repent and believe on his name. Yeah. Sometimes I like looking at these these footnotes that they add in here afterwards, like the Via Della Rosa. Yeah. Via Della Dolorosa is a Latin phrase meaning a painfully difficult route, passage, or series of experiences. It is most often associated with Jesus' movement from his condemnation at the hand of Pilate to his crucifixion on Calvary. So the name Dolores means has comes from that word dolor which means pain mm-hmm. yeah so uh and via of course is like way or so i always say i'm going to deliver this to you to you via the mail <laughs> mm. that's where it comes from yeah and this day i bear apostolic witness of him who was lifted up and sometimes i think we don't feel the fire if you don't feel the fire of god's love for you I would say go serve someone. And I, it's hard for me too to serve someone. I think oftentimes I tend to want to stay in my own little box. Yeah. But if you can't do more than just talking to someone uh, that you don't usually talk to, smiling at someone you don't usually smile at. Well, there's, there's multiple ways. Yeah. You do a lot of work for people that can't on the other side. Yeah, there is ways to serve, even if you are introverted. <laughs> <laughs> it's little by little. Do what you can. It all counts. I think the the key is in Elder Holland's talk is the the importance of is our, our focus on Christ. Is not argue about the symbols and the trinkets and the those other things. The importance is uh, following and becoming like Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing, and so. Uh, these other little things shouldn't be the main focus. It should be Jesus Christ and becoming like him. And so with that, we will end this little session as conference is about a month away. And uh, we encourage you to follow the prophet. <laughs>